welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. This is episode number 44, and it's a privilege to have another leader in their field today on the show, Mr. Josh Bonatol. Director of Strength and Conditioning for the Purdue Boilermakers men's basketball team, the Big Ten Conference champions in 2017. In this episode, Josh shares his story about how he got started in strength and conditioning, great lessons learned from working with the legendary Al Vermeil in the Chicago Bulls, how he prepares his guys in the offseason, as well as the importance of solid nutrition and sleep fundamentals with young athletes. He also dives into things to consider in season when training uh, team sport athletes, as well as perhaps the most important area, which is how to build buy-in and build relationships with players to really propel their success. Great stuff here from Josh, one of the best in the business. And if you're a clinician or a doctor, nutritionist out there, really pay attention to the tail end of this interview, um, where again, Josh's insights on how to coach and build buy-in are so crucial in a patient-client setting. Uh, and in my opinion, the most important thing for real long-term success. So as always, you can check out my layups and performance tips at drbubs.com forward slash podcast and enjoy the show. My guest today is Josh Bonatol, one of the most highly regarded strength coaches in America. Josh is in his seventh season as director of strength and conditioning for the Purdue Boilermakers men's basketball team, the Big Ten Conference Champions in 2017. Josh played a critical role in the development of 2017 All-American Caleb Swanigan, helping him cut weight while developing improved quickness and explosiveness. Swanigan lost over 20 pounds from his arrival date to his selection in last year's NBA draft. Prior to his arrival at Purdue, Bonatol spent nearly three years with the Chicago Bulls as an assistant strength and conditioning coach. Josh's philosophy centers on increasing general strength and stability, while removing limitations, deficiencies, and imbalances to support the development of strength, power, and speed. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, listen, can we kick things off by maybe telling folks a little bit more about how you started in strength and conditioning and how that progressed onto your role as director of strength and conditioning at Purdue? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for me, you know, I think it it really started um, just really having a passion for sports at a young age, um, and in particular basketball, you know, growing up, um, right in the heart of the Jordan era, uh, you know, I I became a a diehard Bulls fan and and it was really hard not to. Um, so I think as a little kid, as many of us do, I always thought I was going to be a professional basketball player. And, um, fortunately for myself and my current career path, I was able to figure out pretty early on that, um, that wasn't going to be in the cards for me, but at the same time, you know, I had to figure out another way in. Um, so I, I really started looking into um, people who were in positions that I wanted to one day get to. Um, you know, where had they been? What steps had they taken to to get to where they were? Um, and ultimately, for me, really, my dream was actually to one day work for the Chicago Bulls. Wow. Um, and, and so it was really cool, you know, being able to make that happen and, and for that to come full circle. And, you know, kind of what was uh, really sort of 
special moment for me um, when I started out with the Bulls as an intern because I spent one year out of college as an intern um, before being hired on full time uh, was while I was an intern, um, I got a letter and it was a letter that our uh, third grade teacher had 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 us, you know, you write to your future self. Well, I, I just so happened to get that letter um, shortly after I'd started my internship with the Bulls. And uh, the letter said that I would be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And so nice. you know, I wasn't starting at point guard, um, but pretty I, I, close you enough. Know, found another way in. So um, that's, you know, my path has, has been one of really just seeking out anyone and everyone um, that I can learn from and, uh, you know, kind of using each opportunity to, to lead to the next and uh, fortunate to have a lot of different experiences throughout college that, that led to the internship with the Bulls. Um, Spent a year following that internship working for Mike Boyle out in Boston, and then the assistant position opened up in Chicago, so they invited me back and, and spent the next three seasons there, and then um, my current role at, at Purdue opened up and um, was fortunate to, to end up there, and now, you know, going into year seven, so. It's phenomenal, and of course, you guys had a fantastic year last year. If we talk, yeah. if we kick things off, you're talking, you know, off-season preparation. You know, what are some of the fundamentals for you guys in that late summer, fall, and the lead-up to a season that you want to instill in the team? Yeah, so, you know, to, to me, I think <clears throat> it's really important that we're spending the off-season um, really attacking general capacities. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in the basketball world, um, people get caught up in, in thinking that, you know, we really need to stress uh, conditioning and these sorts of things during the summer months. And to me, I think that's somewhat misguided. You know, I think it's, you know, that's the time where we're really trying to build and, and expand their engine in terms of getting them stronger maximally, getting them, you know, more explosive, getting them faster, but raising those absolute capacities. And then as we shift gears into the fall. Now that's where I think we're, we're looking at um, the repeatability of those qualities. So now that's where some of the more um, specifics types of, of conditioning come in. But I think it's really important that those summer months, um, you know, we, we really are prioritizing the development of those athletic qualities first and foremost. Um, because by raising those qualities, I think it's going to enhance um, our efforts as we go into uh, into the season um, to to you know be able to again attack the repeatability of those qualities. For us, you know, over the last I would say maybe five or six off seasons now. Um, I've really prioritized our sprinting and speed development throughout the off season. So, you know, I think we, we probably sprint um, more than most any uh, basketball teams that I'm familiar with, at least. Um, and, and that's been kind of a, a big key and a big emphasis for us. Um, just because, you know, from, from my perspective, coming from the NBA level, but when you look at the game in general and really sports in general, 
Um, each level you go up, the biggest thing that changes is the speed of the game. So, you know, in, in basketball, when guys are going from high school to college and then college, hopefully to the NBA, um, what really changes is the game speeds up. So um, we, we spend a lot of time really working on that. And, and uh, you know, so every time we're sprinting, we're going to have electronic timing gates out. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're getting, um, we're getting frequent and, and consistent measurements to see sort of how our, how our guys are developing through the off season, especially if it's a kid that we need to, um, put some weight on, you know, are we making those weight gains, um, without having a detrimental effect on their speed and, and hopefully, um, by also being able to improve upon uh, their speed qualities. The, the second reason why um, I really made that kind of the, the probably number one priority of our offseason of, of really attacking those speed qualities is because I think that by us sprinting and sprinting a lot, it, it's allowing our guys to tap into you know, some of those big motor units, fast twitch fiber types, and even, you know, some of the neural pathways that are necessary to call upon, you know, to readily call upon, um, again, all those big muscle groups and and, and fast twitch fibers. Those are things that they're going to need when it comes time to, uh, you know, move, move a big weight in the weight room or make an explosive type movement, those sorts of things. Um, and, and to me, I look at sprinting as sort of being uh, the ultimate fight or flight, the ultimate expression of, of that fight or flight response. Um, so I felt like, again, in, in keeping with the theme of really raising capacities, um, I felt like if we are sprinting all the time, we're actually raising our capacity um, to really effectively, efficiently tap into those big motor units and further develop um, everything that goes into that, which is then going to transfer um, to some of our other efforts, you know, in, in the weight room. There, Josh, I mean, if we're talking sprints, there is, can you give us a sense of, you know, is it sprint interval training, hit training, a mix of various forms? Or can you give folks a little glimpse into some of the things you might do with, the, with your athletes? Yeah, so... Um, Everything that we're doing with our guys is, is broken down to the individual as much as possible. Um, obviously, there, there are going to be a lot of similarities um, between certain guys and, and things like that. And there's going to be times where, you know, you have maybe a handful of guys whose who's training will um, kind of cross over and, and, and kind of mimic each other um, within our, our speed development that's going to be reflected from the standpoint of um, we're, we're trying to match up what we're targeting with our sprinting and speed development with where they are developmentally. So, you know, what qualities we're working to develop in the weight room is going to match with where we are um, with our speed development. So, for instance, when we have an incoming freshman, um, you know, who it's, it's their first summer on campus. Most of those guys don't really have a big training background. Now we've had an occasional exception where, 
um, they, you know, they had a really good strength coach throughout high school um, and were able to kind of progress them a lot earlier. But for the most part, those are guys that you're really working to build general, general qualities. So you're talking about, again, basic work capacity, um, where within that, um, you know, we are really attacking movement, competency, technical proficiency, um, just get them moving better and sort of train them to be able to train. So what that means from a, uh, a speed perspective is we, we're attacking speed, um, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's the basics. It's, it's technical mechanics. Um, it's it's short, short acceleration, zero to five meters, um, you know, some, some basic plyometrics and, and those sorts of things. As guys start to um, develop and kind of take the next steps um, physically, you know, and now they're moving forward to where uh, strength development has has become more of an more of the priority for them. Um, you know, now we're moving out to uh, ten and twenty meters, so we start to lengthen our speed. Um, some of our plyometrics become a little bit more advanced. Um, you know, and then when you're, when you're talking, especially some of your juniors and seniors now, hopefully within their, their training and their physical development, um, you, you're really able to emphasize some of the higher end athletic qualities in the weight room in terms of, um, you know, speed strength or, or, or power. Um, and as we go there now with our, with our sprinting, we're stretching out to more, um, 30 meter efforts and longer efforts, which is actually going to be uh, a, a longer distance than they'll ever cover in, in one sprint effort within within a game. Um, and it's also going to be at a much greater speed. Um, so we kind of we kind of try to take the the idea of, you know, training at 100 miles an hour so that you know, when they got to run 80, it's, it's easy for them. It's comfortable. Um, but it's, but again, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to be mentored by Al Vermeil and Eric Helland and, and both those guys were, um, very, very close with Charlie Francis. Um, so a lot of the approach that I've taken on speed development, um, is really heavily influenced by those guys through Charlie fascinating stuff and you know if we continue this discussion about you know the offseason you guys had a a, a different offseason this year or preseason so to speak with that overseas trip can you tell folks about that and then perhaps give us some insights into some of the things that you would have modified uh, considering sure. uh, that trip was coming up sure so um this summer we were very fortunate to be selected to uh represent the usa um, in the World University Games, which were held in uh, Taipei, Taiwan. It was such a unique experience because if you think all of our kids are coming back on campus and, and our incoming freshmen, you know, around the first week of June, and now this is, this is typically kicking off sort of the start of your, your off-season and, and that whole process of making these physical improvements and, and that sort of stuff. But instead, we're jumping right into um, basically being in season all over again. Um, so we, we practiced all of June and July and then um, 
around the second week of August, went to Taipei, and uh, we were over there for about three weeks, played, what was it, eight games in, in 10 days over there. Wow. Um, ended up, made it to the gold medal game and lost to Lithuania in the gold medal game, um, you know, and, uh, and so when we got back from, from uh, Taipei, it was the beginning of September. And so what's different there is, you know, any other year and, and any other team in college basketball, now that's where you're really starting to ramp up. That's where your, your off-season conditioning and that sort of thing really kicks gear because we got we to gotta get ready to go into the season. We just finished playing a whole bunch of games, so we had to give our guys a break. Um, and a lot of it was just really having good communication and dialogue with the players. Um, one, to let them know this is the plan. Like, hey, in, in June and July, honestly, you're, you're going to kind of feel like crap much of this time. Um, but here's why we're doing it. Here's what we're trying to do. Um, because if we, if we just approached it as though we were fully in season, then I think it, it sets us back, you know, as we're getting into December, January, February, and our and our collegiate season is really kicking up. So it I can jump in there, Josh. Anything on the recovery side, whether it was supplementation wise or some something, anything different that you implemented, or was it more of a just a focus on getting certain things in? Yeah. So you know, one of the things that was was really difficult being over there was um, you know we weren't able to bring or even ship over a lot of the, the typical supplements we would have um, just with, you know, some of the regulations on, on shipping things through customs. Um, we, we weren't able to have a lot of things. So we, we were really kind of very bare bones um, from a, from a nu- nutritional standpoint. Um, you know, one thing that was kind of unique being over there, we, we had all of our guys on uh, probiotics just because, you know, we didn't know what to expect with the food and, and, and how different it was going to be from, um, you know, what they're used to in their normal diets. Um, but that was really the only thing from a, from a supplement perspective. Jump in again there. How did you guys do with the, uh, you mentioned the probiotics there circling back, uh, obviously really good for preventing colds and flus, reducing severity duration. How did you guys do in terms of were there guys that did catch a few bugs when you were traveling on the way back or were they pretty good? Um, no, overall they were pretty good, you know, just, I think you had both going over and coming back some, uh, just your, your little, you know, sniffles and, and just nothing, nothing major, just some of more of the, uh, the long travel and the, the initial sleep deprivation. Um, but, but really no issues, um, with the guys in terms of, cause one of the things we were really concerned with was guys losing you know drastic amounts of weight for sure just from you know what is how how is their their body going to respond to the food that's available are they even going to eat what's available um but i think it you know there were there were some guys that lost a little bit of weight but you know nothing where we're coming back going man he just lost 15 pounds from from being over there um so absolutely I think that 
yeah, I think that I think that worked out well for us. And um, but the experience itself was was just incredible, you know, for our guys to essentially experience the the environment and the feel of of being in in Olympic Games. Um, and for the, the people of, of that city in Taipei, that was the biggest event that their city has ever held, you know, in probably the last 30 years or so. So, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. You know, all of our games were, were packed out. And um, when our guys were walking down the street, it was pretty funny. They're treating us like we're the Beatles. I mean, it was, you know, because they see that USA. And so they just think USA basketball. And, so it was, that's it was, awesome. How do you feel like the guys in terms of bonding, in terms of being together on the road on a trip like that? That's a very unique trip. Uh, can you touch on, on, on that piece? Yeah. You know, I think that was, that was, um, one of the things that really stood out was, uh, we, you know, so we did win the big 10 last year. Um, but we have a lot of new pieces this year. We have a lot returning. We have four seniors, um, who are starting, uh, but, you know, our, our best player from last year uh, is now in the NBA. And then we have um, five new guys, four, four freshmen and, uh, and a junior college transfer. So to have that time, to have those three weeks where also there was, you know, the rooms we were in, there were no TVs, none of that stuff. So it forced our guys to, you know, they, they couldn't just sit there and veg out. You know, they're playing card games together or they're just – you know, talking, going around together, but even just the cultural experience of being in inside of, um, you know, this athlete's village where you have um, people from literally every country around the world, you know, is um, you're, you're eating in the same cafeteria as, as, as all these people. And, and so for our guys, it's just, go out and, and meet people from other countries and, um, share experiences and, you know, even to just, uh, you know, really appreciating the things that they do have. Sounds like a, sounds like a phenomenal experience. Yeah. Now let's uh, maybe shift gears here and talk program design. Cause now you've got guys on the team that must be, you know, under six foot, five, 10 or so. And then you've got guys close to seven feet tall. So, you know, does their height dictate some of the training choices? Is it mediated more by, by their movement? Uh, capabilities yeah. what does that look like yeah well ultimately it's going to be mediated as you said by their movement capabilities um i i think you know there are at times some some general generalities that may exist with um with bigger guys with kind of longer levers and that and those sorts of things but i think that there's there's almost a kind of common fallacy to look at a guy who's seven foot and just automatically go, well, you know, he can't do this. He can't do that. He can't do that because he's just too long. And the reality is, you know, for us, um, we have a, we have a seven foot three kid who probably moves better through his hips than about two thirds of our team. Wow. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it really does come down to the individual. You know, and, and so I think um, being in the basketball setting where, you know, you have no more than 15 guys, it, it, it makes it um, a lot easier to really be able to um, individualize and, and dial it down um, to each guy 
in that way. But, you know, I've, I've seen guys that are, you know, 5'9", 5'10", that I, I would never, uh, you know, throw weight on their back and load just because they're, they're so restricted, they're so guarded um, through their hips. Um, whereas, uh, you know, I've had multiple seven-footers that could I could throw a bar on their back, you know, and they can squat at or beyond parallel. And, I mean, everything is, you know, perfect alignment. Um, you know, the guy, the guy we have right now, um, he'll take and, and he'll overhead squat a, a decent load and he can sit um, pretty darn close to parallel. Um, so so I, I really think it's, it's important that we're looking at the individual first and foremost. And that's part of our initial evaluation is we're looking at what is their trainability. Um, so you, you're looking at, um, you know, how, how are they able to um, kind of move and control their body weight. So, you know, elements similar to like a functional movement screen, um, doing a, a flexibility assessment, looking joint by joint, um, and then just generally looking at their, their posture and alignment. How does everything stack up? Um, I think it, you know, I always kind of compare it to, uh, using a, a, a car analogy, um, is, you know, looking at first and foremost, is that steering in alignment, right? And, and what I tell our kids is if that steering in alignment is off, it doesn't mean that you can't go out and play basketball, you know, just like the, the car. It doesn't mean I can't go out and drive that car. But over time, there's parts of that car that are taking on more stress, more wear and tear than what they should. You know, so ultimately that car is going to break down. Same as, as our guys, they're going to start to wear down um, and maybe even get injured if we're not addressing those things. So, you know, that's really the first thing that we're doing um, with with any of our kids. And then it's a constant theme throughout their development is we're always prioritizing how they're moving um, rather than, you know, what, what type of, uh, what type of load that they're moving. Um, because if we're not addressing, uh, sort of that trainability or alignment issue, we're never really going to effectively be able to build their engine. That's you great. Know, and that's, and great. that's the, you know, bigger athletic qualities. For sure. I mean, great insights there. And, you know, if we move forward through the season, how does that change in terms of the frequency or how often would the would your kids sort of lift and maintain some of those capacities that you guys have built up over the summer months? Sure. So much of the summer in a typical summer, we're probably um, lifting four days a week. We're probably training maybe five days a week. Um, in the, in the in season, uh, you know, I think what happens is it really becomes much more, uh, targeted you know we almost we need to become much more surgical in our approach of it's it's very much a moving target throughout the season of you know being able to identify where our guys are at you know how how worn down are they um at times and then also being able to identify that moments where they're they're pretty fresh and, and so we can push where in the off season um for us you know, when you look at June, July, August, you're, you know, four or five, six months from playing a game. So if they're beat down and they're sore, 
you know, within reason, it, it's really not much of a concern for us. And, and it's also, it's really something that we want because um, I think it's, it's building that resiliency and it's, it's raising their threshold um, to handle higher workloads once we get in season um, and, and, and to ultimately stay healthy. In season, we're playing games. So on game day, we need them at, as close to their 100% as possible. So for us, um, that's where I think the, the, the partnerships that we try to form with our guys has, has become paramount. And, um, you know, I really give them a ton of autonomy in, in, the, in the, the decision-making process, not only of um, when they're coming in to lift, but also when they do come in, you know, what are we doing? I think that that's got to be, you know, it's, it's steered by me, um, but it's got to be, it's got to be a collective discussion that we have, you know, I, I'm giving them the opportunity to let me know how they're feeling and, and what they feel like doing on that day. At the same time, they're going to be consumed in the moment of, of sort of that day and where they're at that day. So it's my job to look out ahead and say, okay, I understand you're not feeling great today, um, but we do have kind of a lighter week this week in terms of some of our games, who our opponents are, where if we push back, um, you know, some of our normal training and try to reintroduce next week, now we have Michigan State coming up, you know, so now that's not a good time to reintroduce something that we pulled out for 10 days, you know, if it's, if it's something like, um, you know, more, more load intensive, whether it be, um, you know, a, a pulling variant or squatting variant or, or something like that. Now within that, our guys will lift a minimum of, of two days per week, but I'm big on trying to get as many touches as possible with each one of our guys. Um, so what I talk to our guys about is just come and see me every single day. Let's touch base. And, and it doesn't mean we're doing a full lift, but we can always do something to kind of move you forward. If, you, if you're beat up and sore, there's something that we can do to get you feeling better. If you feel pretty good, we can, we can push and kind of continue your, your development. Because I think if we do a good job of being able to identify where they're at and, and being flexible to adjust the plan, to, to where they're at on a daily basis, I think they they should make improvements from October to, to March. Um, you know, obviously the improvements aren't going to be as, um, as, a, as impressive as what you'll see in the offseason um, because they do have that workload of, of games and practices. Um, but I think if, if we're doing our job the right way and we're listening to our guys and, and we're educating them to understand their bodies and understand how they respond to different modalities and different forms of, of training, um, I think we can have a lot of success actually seeing our guys get a little bit stronger throughout a season. Um, and we've had several guys late in the year, you know, in February, March, um, hit new PRs on, on their vertical jump, you know, and, wow. and I think that doesn't happen without that dialogue and that discussion. And, and it is where, you know, now you're, you're looking at things, you know, we use GPS, we, we ask them for their, 
um, to rate practice every day, RPE, we ask, we, we collect wellness information every single day. But even that, I think ultimately all that does is, is drive the discussion that we have with our kids and, and maybe get us to ask better questions, get us to talk into a kid when maybe we, we otherwise wouldn't have been aware, you know, uh, of for sure, the for sure. stress that he's under and those sorts of things. But um, I really work with our guys to, you know, my expectation is by the time they're juniors and seniors, really I could hire most of them to be my assistant strength coach because they understand the process of training so well. They understand um, how they can manipulate a workout um, in season based on how they feel. Um, and they understand how to structure a workout. Yeah, great insights. I mean, that the idea of communication, of giving guys a, a choice in that and really teach them along the way. Now, if we circle back on the nutrition yeah. front, you know, in season fueling strategies, you know, as a strength coach, what are some of the, the major themes for you in terms of where are the, some of the biggest opportunities for improvements for these kids in terms of upgrading their nutrition? You know, at the college level, I think it's, it's very, very basic. Um, you know, it's, it's getting them, you know, get more colors on their plates, fruits and vegetables, you know, even just basic things, understanding what's a carb, what's a protein, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these kids have, have come up as most of us did, you know, we're eating fast food, McDonald's and, and, you know, Chipotle and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, most of them have never really cooked for themselves before. So, you know, I think our, our, uh, our dietitians do a great job of, um, getting, giving them some, some, simple recipes and, and some things that they can cook on their own. Um, but I think the, the big thing is being able to connect, um, the, the, the nutrition, the, the proper nutrition or lack thereof with their performance and, and also with their recovery. I think at the high school level, they've always been the best kid on their team and a lot of them, the best kid in their state or one of them. Um, so they've always been able to get by, but now, you know, that margin for error has, has shrunk significantly. Um, so, you know, they, I think in their head, they think, well, you know, I've always done this. I've always been fine. Um, so it's, it's, it's connecting, you know, and, and, they, and that's where, you know, some of the technology can come into play because you can see some things on days where, where they really struggle to get through a practice and, and that sort of stuff. And now when you start to have discussion with them and you start to figure out, okay, what have you been eating over the last, you know, two or three days? Um, and, and you can start to connect. Well, now how you kind of crashed in this practice today, much of that has to do with the things you've been putting in your body over the last two or three days or what you have not been putting in your body um, on my side of things, it's, uh, you know, there, there are some things that we're doing supplement wise. Um, we use a product called you can for, uh, a lot of our practices and games, longer, longer practices. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a, uh, you know, uh, corn based long, fiber product. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, so we'll do things like that. We will use beet juice on game days. 
um, with the intent of, you know, trying to give them every little 1% that we can, even if that's somewhat of a, of a, whether that's a placebo or that's a, that's, you know, a real effect, you know, I think as long as the guys believe that it's, it's helping them, then it does. Um, but we'll use the, the beet juice with the idea that, you know, they're, they're able to utilize that oxygen more efficiently. So hopefully in theory to, you know, work, do the, the same amount of work, they're able to do it with a lower heart rate response. Um, you know, and then uh, we'll do things in, in periods of, of higher stress where um, we introduce things like cherry juice, very high antioxidants. Um, but I, I've kind of um, taken a different approach uh, over the last two or three years, especially in, uh, in that first month of practice where really try to get them to acclimate uh, to the high workloads more naturally, like, you know, not using as many recovery modalities. So driving, you know, better nutrition and that sort of stuff, um, but saving a lot of the re recovery modalities, whether it be, you know, a Normatec or, or uh, hydrotherapy or those massage, those sorts of things, uh, more once we start playing games so that it can have a bigger impact, you know, get them to kind of take on that stress and, and adapt to it more naturally. But then late in the season, then we'll, we'll reintroduce things like the, the cherry juice um, as we're going into uh, tournament time. Yeah, I love that. Love the focus on the on the fundamentals there with just, you know, getting kids to, again, identify those, get those different colors on the plate, know what's what's going on in terms of macros, just so they can start to make some informed decisions. So great advice there. And if we, if we dovetail this into sleep, I recently had uh, Dr. Amy Bender from the Canadian Sport Institute on the podcast earlier this year talking yep. sleep and performance. And of course, you know, young athletes, as you know, whether it's getting enough sleep time or being up later in the evening on social media and in bed, you know, how do you guys try to support sleep with your, uh, with your athletes? Um, so again, I think it's, it's that education process um, and, and trying to connect with them how it's impacting their performance. Um, you know, I, I think sleep is, is similar to, good nutrition in that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the basics of it, you know, people inherently understand, um, sleep is good. No sleep is bad, but yet we still, you know, especially as some of these kids, they're still going to stay up until two or three in the morning, either, you know, watching a movie, watching some of these games that are on late playing video games, you know, whatever it is. Uh, college kids going to be college up. kids, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then they got to get up five hours later. Um, but in their mind is they can get by, you know, and, and the other part of it um, is, you know, the way that your body renorms. So, you know, I think and you're probably familiar with um, the the uh, idea of, you know, if, if, if I go uh, two weeks straight where I get six hours of sleep each night, at the end of those two weeks, I'm operating at about the same capacity as if I just stayed up for 24 hours straight. For you sure. Know, you're, you're so sleep deprived. But what happens is it, it happens so gradually that you just your your body and your, you know, you essentially compare against how you felt yesterday. So you don't feel that much different from yesterday. 
you know? And, and so I think that's part of it too, is our kids just always associate, well, I don't feel that much worse. Um, so I think it's some of that too, is just, um, getting them to trust you and, and finding times where, you know, I'll get some of our guys where we're seeing some of that. And I say, Hey, just these next three days, four days, get 10 hours of sleep, whatever you do, just do that for me. Get 10 hours of sleep. Let's talk four days from now and tell me how you feel. Tell me what differences you see, you know? And, and like, that seems so, um, kind of basic and simple, but it's funny. They like, they come back. They're like, man, it's amazing. What happens if you sleep? Like I'm so much sharp. You know, I felt great on the court. I had so much more energy. Like, man, that sleep is really important. You're like, oh, no kidding. You know? Simple, but, effective, free. You know, it's got a lot of positives there. Now, do your, yeah, any of your guys yeah. take any naps at all? Is that something, a strategy, whether it's longer naps on the weekends or shorter naps on game days and that kind of stuff that's um, filtered through? Or is it tricky yeah, with college will, kids to, ma- you know, to match that? Yeah. Yeah. So our guys will do naps quite a bit on, on game days and, and just the nature of the college schedule. Um, but I think a lot of times they're, they're, naps become almost a substitute for sleeping at night instead of a, a, a compliment to it as they probably should. It's, it's that, you know, they stay up until two or three in the morning. They have a seven thirty class, you know, so they're getting four hours of sleep. They go to class until maybe 10, you know, 10 30, and then they come home and then they crash and they wake up right before we have practice at two. Gotcha. You know, so it's, I think it's, I don't know that they, they use it as effectively as they could. A lot of them, at least when they, they first come in. Um, and so that's part of it too, is, is getting them to understand napping strategy strategies. Um, some of the windows, you know, for like, don't just pass out and, and kind of, you know, wake up when you got to wake up because a lot of times if you're waking up, sort of at the wrong time within your sleep cycle, you know, you're going to come out of it actually feeling a lot worse. So finding those windows, you know, like the, the 20 to 30 minute nap, the, the 90 minute nap, the three hour nap, you know, but, but trying not to be kind of in between that. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's great you know, advice. I'll never forget the first high school basketball. A friend of mine told me to take a nap on our season opener, and I, I must have napped for over two hours and just felt like it was. I didn't know what day it was, where I was. I mean, it's definitely one of those things that timing is really key. Now, I want to respect your time here, Josh. So, if we sort of the last couple of questions for you, if we zoom out to about thirty thousand feet here and ask you about the art of coaching, what are some of the key principles that make up a great coach? Um, I think it's it's having humility. You know, it's, it's not being afraid to um, admit that you don't know something, you know, and, and then go find and seek out the answer. It's, it's having the humility to admit when you're wrong. You know, I, I think a lot of times in coaching, you're going to be wrong, whether that's in, you know, how you, how you react or you respond when one of your athletes does something, you know, you let your emotions consume you. And, and now maybe you kind of jump a kid where there was a more effective way, you know, or, or it wasn't, it wasn't the right way to, to get through to them. You let your emotions, you let your ego kind of take over. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to admit when you're wrong 
dealing with with other people on the staff. You know, you you may um, have have disagreements whether it's you know with um, other members of the support staff or or the the coaching staff. Where I think as a young coach, you can get so caught up in in feeling the need to be right and feeling the need to show how much you know. And, and there's going to be times where, you know, you go, well, this goes against, you know, all the science and all the things that I've read and all, you know, and, and, um, but maybe there's some things that you, you haven't considered yet. Maybe there's some things that you don't know yet through experience. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the humility piece, it's, it's, it helps you with breaking down walls with all those relationships, whether it's with people above you, people below you and people at your same level. Um, but especially with your athletes too, you know, if you're, if you're able to say, Hey, that was my fault. I screwed up there. Even maybe it might not have been your fault. Um, but if you're able to take it, Hey, you know what? I didn't communicate that to you affect like I, I didn't communicate my expectation to you clearly enough so that's my fault here's what you know my expectation is let me reiterate this um and here's why here's how I'm trying to help you you know rather than just sort of puffing up um you know and 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 um letting your ego get in the way because I think when you when you're willing to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. Hey, I, I messed that up. Hey, I was wrong. Um, especially with your athletes, it's it's going to open them up, you know, they're, because otherwise they're putting that wall up right right with you, you know, and now, um, you know, it, it, it just becomes, a, a, you know, battle of egos, you know, and, and now they're, they're starting to shut you out. Once that wall goes up, they shut you out. And I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I've seen in, in my years of coaching of really having an impact in, in the development of these athletes, they have to believe that what they're doing is helping them and is making them better. And with that belief comes intent. You know, if they believe that the things that they're doing are, are going to make them better, they're going to be more focused in doing it. They're going to put more effort into it, you know, versus if they're just doing it because they're made to do so, you know, especially at the college level, you know, there's an element where you can be a dictator almost. They sort of have to do what you said because you said so. Um, but if you take that approach, I, I just think you're going to have very limited results, um, so, you know, I think the, the X's and O's and all that, that's a huge, huge piece of it. Um, but if you can't, you know, sort of implement that and be able to communicate that and form relationships with your athletes and, and the other key people around them, um, you know, your, your impact is going to be really limited, you know, and, and if you can, if you're, if you're in the situation for it, I think you get to know the people that they're close with. You know, at our level, anytime one of our kids, if, if their parents or their brother or whoever, if, they're, if they come to a game or they're at a practice or they're just in town for whatever reason, they come through our facilities, I'm always going to go talk to them. 
I'm always going to further my relationship with them because also that's going to help me, you know, to, to, to get through to the kid. But just that, that relationship piece is so big. Yeah. Great advice. I mean, regardless if you're a coach out there, doc, nutritionist, therapist, um, really, really great advice. Now, Josh, last question for you. You're a very busy man. How do you start your day? How do you find time to fit training in? How do you start your day? Um, you know, I try to start my day with reading. Um, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll, uh, and, and my habits kind of go all over the place. Um, I try to have some early morning habits where, where I get up real early and um, do a little writing in a journal, do a little brief meditation, and then, and then do some reading. Um, it, it can become a little hectic in the season, uh, especially with some of the travel and the late nights and stuff like that. But I always try to, to read at least an hour every morning before even I'm going into work. Um, I think that it helps me kind of center and, and sort of clear my head. Um, but it, it, it just, um, keeps, keeps that hunger to, to continue to learn and grow, you know, just the, the consistent improvement. Um, and I think it just, it gets your mind in, in, in that right frame to go into work and, and be effective. Absolutely. And on the coffee side of things, are you a coffee guy, tea, water, oh, yeah. what gets you going oh, in the morning? Yeah. No, I got, I got my, uh, four shot Cortado every <laughs> Okay, nice. I'm a, I'm a coffee snob is what I am. Is that pre or post read the, uh, the coffee? Uh, normally pre. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes in between. Fantastic. Well, listen, Josh, massive thank you for taking the time out today. Uh, where can people stay connected with you, with your work, and the upcoming season for the Boilermakers? Um, so I try to stay pretty active online through Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my, my tag is just at jbonitol. Um, so I, I, I like to put a lot of training videos up there and, and um, you know books that I'm reading and, and kind of some of my takeaways or, or quotes and things like that. Awesome. We'll definitely include uh, those links and a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for coming on, Josh, and thanks everyone else for tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. You can use the hashtag drbubspp. Again, if you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and share with your friends. Once again, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week. Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.